this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars. Sorry about the late start here. I didn't realize that we were on the air. Lost track of time. How was your weekend? Everybody out there. We had one hell of a weekend here. Uh, I was doing a safety audit at a uh, client facility. And what do you think we saw? Uh, what do you think we saw next to the lockout tagout station? going to love this one. A set of bolt cutters, like a lock cutter, old-fashioned set of bolt cutters. I said, <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not a lockout tagout expert by any means, but I don't think that's supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The things you see on a safety audit, I, you know, had to document that one. As I always say, right, if someone calls you, and I had a conversation with one of, uh, I was doing safety audits today, I had a conversation with one of the workers. He said, are you one of those there safety experts? I said, no, 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 no. First and foremost, if anyone calls themselves and self-identifies as a safety expert, be very afraid. I said, you can know a lot about one area. No, like confined space entry you're going to know a lot about hazardous waste site issues uh fall protection issues so you're not going to know all fall protection issues so the expert at what you are doing right for your job and how to work safely is the person in the field they're the ones that we should be relying on not the quote-unquote safety expert right oh i'm the safety (laughs) i'm like yeah, you know, uh, first and foremost, if you have to self-identify as an expert, you're probably not. So how do we approach this? Ask the right questions. Involve the worker. Talk things out. You often get more, uh, you get better results if you talk to people, if you no, I'm not saying interrupt their work, but if you, you know, friendly uh, uh, talk to people. I learned this from my father. Uh, we had been on, my brother Wally is a proud Navy vet. Let me throw that down. I, may, I turn on the iPad to make sure I'm on the air. My brother Wally was a, uh, is a Navy vet. Served in the early 1980s. And uh, like if you go into, uh, uh, like if a ship's in port, like, so we have fleet week, for example, in New York every week, uh, every year. And then you have fleet week on the West coast and they bring in, usually it's for, uh, for the July and or Memorial day, somewhere around that time of year. And the Navy brings in all their ships and you get tours of the ships of certain ships, not all of them, just certain ships and if you are a navy veteran you get to go on the ship uh, uh ahead of everybody else so the uss intrepid the last time i was on it if you were a navy vet or any vet for that for that matter you got to go first on line so it was i believe the uss america and the uss america has been scrapped for a long time so you know how old this story is and we go on it's an aircraft carrier and we go on it And with my father and brother, we were on vacation. I was uh, in high school and uh, we go start going through the whole thing. And my father's are, they have a tour guide and the tour guide uh, is doing the thing, doing what they're supposed to. I guess it's, I don't know what rank the person was, but they were especially trained to be a tour guide for this ship. And they had the guy, guy all the way in the background. That's doing the, you know, picking up the uh, slow, picking up the slow people, right? People are lagging behind and trying to know if there's a problem, right? 
So my father goes up to him and I, I want to hear, you know, what the tour guide is saying and everything else. I thought I was considering a career in the military. Anyway, uh, my father starts talking to the guy all the way in the back and he strikes up a conversation with him. And it turns out that the guy is a machinist mate. I believe that that's what his specialty is. And my father says, you know what? I'm a tool and die maker retired. He says, I would really love to see your machine shop. You got a machine shop here? The guy says, yeah, I, we got it. He said, wait till the end of the tour. I'll take you to the machine shop. And we got to see the whole guts of the ship here going through it. And we got to see this and that. And what's the point? We got to talk to the right person, ask the right questions. And he showed us a whole bunch of stuff. No, the machine and my father got the biggest kick in the world out of it. And this was the expert on the ship, right? Uh, you know, yeah, the tour guide will tell you so much, but this guy really showed you really in-depth and detailed things. We stayed for like another hour. It was a wonderful experience. And that's the same thing in the workforce, right? You can't, you don't go in there. Oh, I'm the expert. And oh, blah, 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 blah. And you're doing this wrong. And you're doing this wrong. You're doing Go in there and ask a question. So, for example, hey, uh, what exactly is going on here with the lockout tagout? How, you know, no, what, what are those bolt cutters for? There, and you approach it like that. Well, you know, uh, along those lines, and then, oh, and then you can maybe work into well, what kind of training have you had? Or were there any training? Do they do this? And you talk to the worker because this is what happens. I could go. And it's happened numerous, numerous times where you give, uh, someone goes for training, name the topic, doesn't matter what it is. And they, you know, you have education, you have training, right? On the pyramid, you have education, training, then you have some type of a practical demonstration or, right? And then you have integration of that training into the actual work that you're doing. You can see it took effect. The tra the education and training and practice and everything else goes right into everyday work, practice, what they're doing. So uh, you can have a million and one training classes, but if it doesn't ever get applied, it's not really good. OSHA uh, also, when they pull the employees, so they come to the job site, your facility, what have you. And you go in and they say, one of the questions is, well, they're going to take the worker aside. And the worker is going to uh, say, uh, and they're going to ask questions. Well, how, like, how come, uh, how come you guys, you guys are wearing respirators, right? Well, did you go for a physical for that? How often do you wear a respirator? It's going to probably be one of the first. Oh, oh, did you go for a physical? Maybe did they give you like a medical evaluation with that. Do they give you training? And then they go into, well, uh, and uh, there was a well-known company that went through this. Uh, they said, well, why are you wearing a respirator? Uh, 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 wh what's that protecting you from? Uh, 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 costs them about $45,000. And plus the guy, you know, they were wearing the respirator legitimately. They had a legitimate need for it. However, the, five or six employees that they spoke to had no clue why they were wearing respirators. None. And then the other thing was that none of the respirators were in containers or bags when not in use or hanging up after deconning. They would just leave them. Hey, no, they're driving a forklift. They leave the respirator in the forklift. They're uh, in the uh, room with bulk storage with drums or they're emptying drums into uh, smaller containers uh, you know, they leave the respirators right there hanging right out on, on the drum. Well, they got whacked for that per, uh, per respirator uh, on that. It was just a bad situation. So what's the point? The expert on what goes on in the workplace is not always the supervisor. It's all, sometimes, usually, the worker on that. And uh, a good... Uh, compliance officer and good auditor from OSHA is going to pick up on whether they're being lied to or not by uh, uh, the worker and will ask the right questions and everything else to get down to the bottom of things. Uh, I have had workers sabotage, try to sabotage uh, me 
where I had a, it was a fall protection accident. We were interviewed by OSHA and they said, uh, Mr. Polzel, uh, you're a, uh, you're a, you gave training on fall protection. Yes, sir. Uh, well, what proof do you have that you gave training? Well, here's the sign-in sheet. Uh, do you have any other proof, Mr. Polzel? Yes, here is the copy of the exams associated with what. Well, Mr. Polzel, we saw uh, that the workers on this site, on this state, uh, were not wearing fall protection regularly uh, the way it was supposed to be. Well, do you have a list of those employees? Yeah, we had Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, Mr. This. They're all Polish names. Not going to get into it. And he says uh, to me, I said, okay, I have 17 pages of signing of pictures here that are included in the training uh, pamphlet, the training well, pamphlet, but the manual. I have everybody that goes to that training class sign the sign the uh, uh, sign-in sheet, sign the picture, showing them how to use it, fall protection distance, how to put on the respirator and everything else. Plus, we have pictures of the training class of them doing that. Maybe not that worker in particular, but we could show that we did. They said, okay, Mr. Polzel, uh, thank you very much. We're, but you realize you have a problem with your workers because your workers said that they received no training, but we could see right here the documentation is that they did receive training and they were lying to you lying to us. And that's an issue. You can't really lie to a federal work employee uh, doing an investigation. But uh, the whole thing went our way, by the way. Uh, the audit and everything, they, and my client was cited for something, uh, but it had nothing to do with fall protection. By the way, I wasn't even on the job. And this is a mobile crew. So that's how that goes. Had they wanted to get us on fall protection and we didn't have those documents, that would have been a problem. Uh, so that's what you want to do. So we're going to go into a little bit of news and views, and then we're going to talk about nuclear issues. All right. So this keeps on coming up and I don't want this to become the nuclear show. So we're going to go in deep with this today, uh, nuclear issues and radiological issues. And then I'm not going to mention it the rest of the week unless something happens. And, but if, no, I'm going to be referencing this program. This is Monday, January 30th, 2023 of Safety Wars on safetyfm.com. And we're, I'm just going to reference back to this. And this is probably what we're going to do with every one of these big topics going forward. So we're going to take a brief break and then we're going to uh, go into, uh, do a little bit of a deep dive on this. So, uh, let's go to break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including... Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, so we're back. We're going to go into... Uh, you are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. We're going to go into some financial news here. And I forgot to pull up the web page. Okay, here we go. Dow Jones Industrial fell slightly today by uh, 0.77%, closing at 33,717. S&P 500 at 407,577. NASDAQ at 11,393.81. Russell 2000 at 1885.72 down. 
U.S. Treasury notes are up to 3.536%. Bitcoin is up slightly at uh, 22.823. Crude oil is up slightly today, but it's lower than last week at 77.96. And we're going to go on to precious metals. Precious metals. We have gold down slightly today at 1933.60. Silver down slightly at 23.87. Platinum down slightly at 1,028.30. And palladium is holding steady at 16.71. Let's go into OSHA news, right? So this is all of these stories are uh, open source right out of the. Uh, Right out of the uh, off of the uh, uh, OSHA website and the uh, press releases. This is out of Hartford, Connecticut. A federal investigation has found a Manchester's contract. By the way, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Uh, these uh, site proposed citations are often uh, vacated or negotiated downward or litigated. So this is just the initial stuff and proposed violations. And a federal investigation has found a Manchester contractor's failure to provide legally required safeguards to make sure that they were in place to prevent a trench collapse contributed to the July 22nd, 2022 uh, death of an employee buried when an eight-foot-deep trench caved in. Investigators from OSHA determined a contractor exposed their worker to deadly hazards as he connected drainage piping at a residential development construction site in Vernon. Vernon. Previously, in November 2015, OSHA inspectors identified four serious violations related to trench work by a company at a Stafford work site. This is, sounds like this is right down the street from where I was working a couple of years ago. Uh, the deadly cave-in and workers' that should never have happened, uh, according to the OSHA area director, Dale Varney. After a previous OSHA inspection, the company knew of the dangers of working in an unprotected trench. The need to inspect the trench and ensure required effective cave-in protection was in place. Right, Big run-on sentence there, Dale. Uh, before any employee entered the trench. The company, however, still chose to ignore these required safeguards, and now a worker's family, friends, blah, 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 and co-workers are left to grieve. Right? Family, uh, let me repeat that. Workers, family, friends, and co-workers never say blah, blah. But we always say blah, blah, and are thinking, well, oh, yeah, everybody. Uh, guess what? This really impacted people to watch someone die. You ever had to watch someone die unexpectedly? It impacts you. And this is uh, right. Specifically, OSHA found that Botticello failed to provide the trench with a protective system to prevent it from collapsing and caving in on workers. Having a competent person, remember what a competent person is. Uh, you have to conduct inspections before, during, and at, before and during the work on identifying correct hazardous conditions. If you can't identify the conditions, you can't correct them, you're not a confident person. And sure, the 135-foot trench contains sufficient means of egress to allow workers to safely exit. That means it's got to be within 25 foot of each worker a way to get out, right? Or a ramp, something. Right, but that has to be determined by the confident person. As a result of the violations and the employer's prior knowledge, OSHA cited the company for three willful violations and proposed three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in change in penalties. And now we won't go through that today because I want to get to the other one, and we already talked about that story on Friday. This was from today from the EPA. Today, the U.S. EPA and Department of Justice announced a settlement with Logan Square Aluminum Supply, resolving alleged violations of the federal lead renovation repair and painting regulations, known as the RRP rule, on renovation projects Logan Square and its contractors performed in Chicago and Chicago suburbs. Uh, what does it end up, right? They didn't have a plan. They didn't have people certified. Uh, and lead, which is the RPP rule, and uh, they will pay for a four hundred thousand uh, dollar penalty and perform two million dollars of lead-based paint abatement work in lower-income 
properties, right? With that, uh, blah, 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 and going on and on. Lead exposure from lead-based fame continues to be a hazard for American families living in older homes. Basically, anything from 1978 or before has lead paint in it, almost guaranteed. But let's remember, when this thing kicked in, a lot of people went out and bought lead-based paint. So 1978, it says, oh, yeah, that's the cutoff point for residential interior lead in that thing. But people were still using lead-based paint uh, no, up until like the mid to late 1980s. Some sources say up to night, I used to be a lead inspector risk assessor licensed state of New Jersey, and they went into this because what people were using, they were bringing industrial, especially in the lower income neighborhoods, people would find paint or would buy paint or would steal paint often, or some a company would let them take paint home like bridge paint and go and paint houses which is why you probably need a, uh, uh, a lead inspection anyway done or presume that everything is lead. Rhode Island Senator proposes a $20 minimum wage. Uh, as Rhode Island's 2023 legislation legislative session gets underway, the head of the Senate's Committee on Labor has introduced a bill proposing a $20 minimum wage by 2025. State Senator Frank Saccone of Providence, Democrat, is the sponsor of Senate Bill 0037. The bill, as drafted, proposes increasing Rhode Island's minimum wage from the current rate of $13 for an hour to $15 an hour, on this coming January 1st, and to the benchmark of $20 an hour the following January 1st. So that's all being in there. Uh, now, this is not the first time that this has happened there, and uh, the critics are saying that, uh, the people pro are saying, hey, it's going to be uh, good to get people paid a living wage. The critics are saying that uh, often people lose their jobs for no, there's a loss of employment. I don't know. Got to figure it out. A celebrity bow hunting, bow hunting couple has been sentenced in Omaha federal court on charges of violating uh, wildlife poaching laws. Josh Bomar and Sarah Bomar were each sentenced to three years probation and 40 hours of community service in the largest known poaching case in Nebraska, according to the New York Post. They were guilty of violating a Lacey Act, which bans trafficking, and fish, wildlife, or plants are illegally taken, taken, possessed, transported, or sold. The couple was among dozens of others who were charged with unlawfully taking big game animals and with Hidden Hills Outfitters, a commercial big game guiding and outfitting business near Broken Arrow between 2015 uh, and 2017. And, uh, well, this is how they got them. They posted footage. And these are federal charges here. Uh, with this. So I don't know. It's uh, don't illegally hunt. Wyoming denounces electric vehicles to support oil and gas. I think we covered this early last week. Wyoming lawmakers have introduced a resolution that denounces electric vehicles and pledges support for the oil and gas industry. Senate Joint Resolution 004 stresses support for phasing out the sale of new electric vehicles. However, uh, they, people could still buy them, uh, could still buy them, uh, right? Uh, right. And now this all would take event in 2035. And I think this is, I know, uh, in retaliation for California here. Okay. So we're going to talk about, oh, one more. Uh, President Joe Biden confirmed, informed Congress on Monday that he will end the twin national emergencies addressing COVID-19 on May 11th, as most of the world has returned closer to normalcy nearly three years after they were first declared. In a move to end the national emergency and public health emergency declarations, but formally restructure the federal coronavirus response to treat the virus as an endemic threat, uh, to public health that can be managed through agencies and normal authorities. So uh, basically, we were going back to normal on May 11th. Nope. And you know what? Right before uh, the primary elections in a couple of states, I find that very curious. Okay. So now we're going to talk about nuclear stuff. 
I'm going to read start the stories here. All right. I'm going to read to highlight the threat and the issues that were going on are all from mainstream media, right? As mainstream as mainstream gets. This is from the Associated Press. Korea leaders avoid specific measures to address the nuclear crisis. This is from Goyang. Goyang? Yeah, it's got, that's, I'm, I'm assuming it's Goyang, South Korea. Associated Press. The leaders of North and South Korea played it safe Friday, repeating pre- a previous vow to rid the Korean Peninsula of nuclear weapons, but failing to provide any specific measures to forge a potential breakthrough on an issue that has captivated and terrified many since rivals seemed on the verge of war last year. No, number two. This is an analysis from AP, January 26, 2023, John Gambrell. Iran has enough highly enriched uranium to build several nuclear weapons. If it chooses, the United Nations' top nuclear official is now warning, but diplomatic efforts aimed again at limiting its atomic program seem more unlikely than ever before as Tehran arms Russia in its war on Ukraine as unrest shakes the Islamic Republic. The warning from Rafael Mariano, blah, 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 Grossi of the International Atomic Energy Agency in response to questions from European lawmakers this week shows just how high the stakes have become. And uh, for months, non-proliferation experts have suggested Iran had enough uranium uh, enriched uh, up to 60% to build at least one nuclear weapon, though Tehran has long insisted its program for peaceful purposes. Okay, Ukraine, this is from beginning of last week, AP. Ukraine, war moves soon to stay clocked in 90 seconds to midnight. So we covered that where the atomic, uh, from the advocacy group, the uh, uh, what is Bulletin of uh, Atomic Scientists, right, founding members, uh, Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer, uh, from what I remember, uh, both, uh, no, uh, the advocacy group started in 1947 to use the clock to symbolize the potential likelihood of people doing something to end humanity. Now we're in like 90 seconds of midnight, which is now nuclear war. Ukraine war to accelerate shift to uh, clean energy, according to BP. Russia's war in Ukraine is expected, and this is from Reuters, to weigh on long-term energy demand and accelerate the world's shift to renewables and low-carbon power uh, as companies reduce domestic energy supplies. This also includes, not in here in the article, but I've read all over the place, includes nuclear stuff. Right? So, pardon me, proliferation to nuclear, I got the hiccups. Proliferation of nuclear nuclear uh, material. Remember that. This is from uh, this is from uh, NPR.org, National Public Radio. Russia's nuclear arsenal is huge, but will Putin use it? This is from October seventeenth of last year. For decades, the threat of nuclear Armageddon has kept Russia and the West out of a direct confrontation. As an aside, that is called uh, MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. The prospect of nuclear, global nuclear war has been a line that neither side is willing. But now, analysts who study Russia's nuclear strategy say they are increasingly worried that this stark nuclear line is becoming blurred. As Russia's conventional war in Ukraine falters, thanks in large part to Western weapons and training, some see an effort to bend nuclear deterrence to fit the current conflict. Now, I have read, and uh, I don't have the source here, but I have read several times uh, from military sources that nuclear weapons, small nuclear weapons, in, uh, are on the table here in the Ukraine war if Russia starts losing. And uh, Putin has reportedly uh, said that. This is from... Doo-doo. 
Okay. And nobody wants to say what those medications are. So World Health Organization released an updated report on Friday detailing medications that governments should have on hand in the event of radiological or nuclear emergency. Governments should have a national stockpile of PPE. Yeah, well, I think we learned that from the COVID thing. But also a range of pharmaceuticals, including potassium iodide tablets, anti-medics, anti-emetics, nausea, right, from what I recall, anti-diarrhea agents, decorporating agents, alkylating agents, and other medications. Okay, we're going to go, we're going to see where this is. Do-do-do. Hold on, hold on, hold on, everybody. World Health Organization, they keep on wanting you to download everything. Hold on. I have the list of the medications here. Let me get them. I lost. I had it right in front of me. Or bear with me, everybody. Hold on. This is actually uh, worth a deep dive itself. Okay. This is what they are recommending. All right. I'm going to uh, put this up on our social media. In addition to generic medical supplies... Right, this is right from the WHO report. Uh, here, it is national stockpiles for radiological and nuclear emergencies policy advice. In addition to the generic medical supplies such as trauma kits, fluids, painkillers, antibiotics, etc., radiation stockpile will include some specific elements, medicines, and devices. As specific met products are required for a radiation emergency, it is important that product formulations make them amenable for rapid use and mass casualties. Thus, their route of administration should require minimal medical oversight. Oral subcutaneous transdermal inhaled or intramuscular rather than IV injection. Going on and on and on. Devices for assessing a radiation dose and thereby for triggering large numbers of potentially exposed individuals may have limited use of mass casualties because the requirements that devices be minimally invasive, rapid radiation specific. And it goes on and on and on. The elements of a stockpile formulary are subject to national pharmaceutical regulation and approvals and regulatory status. Table 3 and I'm reading off of Table 3, provides a summary of key uh, MCM, uh, right, uh, medical stuff, right, medicines. So here they have potassium iodide. That's the classic one. Saves your thyroid. Prussian blue, which is the uh, uh, similar formulation to the dye used for clothing, all right, similar. Not the same exactly, but it's medical grade. Cal uh, calcium or zinc, DTPA. We'll go into more what that is. Alginate, uh, alginates. What do alginates do? Alginate is a natural polymer of edible heteropolysaccharide abundantly available in brown seaweed. Now, when I wrote my book, Nuclear Terrorism, A Family Response Guide, this was uh, basically, they were just, just started getting into brown seaweed. But now we see the WHO is uh, recommending natural polymer, right, uh, alginate. How things change. We update our knowledge. Aluminum antacids, sodium bicarbonate, filgrestim. All right, let's look up what that is. Filgrestim. 
They got all done in real time, guys. And it's an, uh, considered a biological medication, right? Phil Grassum injection products include Granix, Nuprogen, Nivisim, blah, 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 and three uh, Nivisim, Glucolo, and Zario are used to decrease the chance of infection in people who have non-myeloid cancer, meaning cancer that does not involve the bound manner and are receiving chemotherapy medications that may decrease the number of neutrophils. Okay, that's from MedlinePlus.gov, U.S. government website. Again, not from... Uh, Conspiracy theory websites. This is all from mainstream websites here, guys. I got a comment last week. Here, are you doing this? And that? Yeah, well, guess what? The other one is, uh, here we go. Granulocyte macrophage colonies, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it is sacrosmustrum and malagrostum. It's uh, boom, boom, and they give it to uh, bone marrow patients. All right, here, uh, bone marrow and chemotherapy patients, right, for high levels. And the last one that they recommend is ramiplostum. You can look this all up yourself. Ramiplostum is uh, a fusion protein analog of someone else. That regulates blood platelets and platelet production. Okay, great. So these are the drugs that they recommend you have. If I ever do an update, I'll go into this. So that's potassium iodide, Prussian blue, calcium or zinc, a DTPA, alginates, aluminum antacids, sodium bicarbonate, philograstum, sacrobestum, and rhomnipastum. Okay, so now that we've established that this is no longer conspiracy theory. And by the way, if we go over, I'm just going to keep going over and over and over, and you can catch it on the uh, uh, podcast tomorrow. So I wrote this book because I went to a con conference on nuclear terrorism in uh, the mid-2000s, and I realized that the people who were doing all the talking didn't, are, were not the experts, and the experts that were out there weren't doing all the talking talking except for crescent carney and a couple of others that came out with uh nuclear war survival skills which is still the official u.s government in-depth book written in like the 80s or 70s on nuclear issues now the advantage that we have here with nuclear issues and how they impact human health and everything else is that we had a thing called the Cold War that ended, depending on who you talk to, between 1989 and 1991. And it started at the just after the end of World War II, 1947, I believe. Uh, but anyway, anyway, we had a Cold War, and they dumped trillions of dollars into researching this stuff. And the advantage of, so I often ask, Jim, would you rather deal with a radiation cleanup, a biological cleanup, or a chemical cleanup? And I always answer that, well, and, and there is no wrong answer on here. And I always say radiation cleanup because they understand that the most, and that leads to my opinion. All right? Uh, and then uh, chemical cleanup, and then biological is the worst thing I ever want to deal with, and we've been dealing with that now going on three years. So... Uh, basically, I wrote this in 2012. I finalized it, but it was written well before that. There are deep divisions in this country among the vocal leaders of both the left and the right, but both agree nuclear terrorism is a real threat. And in this case, we're talking about nuclear war. On the left, there is Secretary, Hillary, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who gave a major policy speech to the Council on Foreign Relations. This is right off of the Council on Foreign Relations website, by the way. Not a conspiracy theory here. Iran poses a significant threat to the United States by combining access to nuclear materials and technology with support for terrorists whose aim is to attack and kill Americans. This was October 31st, 2006. We're still talking about that in the news today. On the right, a Newt Gingrich, there's a Newt Gingrich, right? Uh, that have been raising concerns about the threat of nuclear terrorism as far as back as 1999. Mr. Gingrich stated that, uh, that the Hart-Rudman 
Commission on of the Council of Foreign Relations recommended that the government be able to respond to three nuclear events in three different cities on the same morning. Some also believe that a nuclear event will be a false flag event used to usher in a totalitarian state. Those, those are my words, the last statement. So uh, we have two people. One was Speaker of the House. The other one was uh, Secretary of State that... Uh, mention this and again this is a bipartisan thing going back and forth and uh now then you get the other people that are out there and it doesn't mean whether you're on the right or the left on this one the extremists that believe that the united states deserves a nuclear event right and well the americans have seen as far as global nuclear war has been mostly from disaster movies uh, uh, TV shows, Jericho is one of them from the mid, uh, 2000s, the day after tomorrow, which was, uh, in, uh, I believe it was 83 or 84, the same guy that, uh, Nicholas Meyer, who directed Star Trek to the wrath of Khan, uh, directed that movie the day after tomorrow with an all-star cast, uh, cast on that. And we've been relying, and that's where people have this. Right, and then it goes back to the ridiculous one where you had to attack the killer tomatoes and you know, Godzilla and all the other stuff in there. So a lot of people feel that this is a joke. This ain't no joke. This is game on, especially now when we have arguably World War Three, as people have called it, in Ukraine. But now, today, the cooler heads are preparing a little bit, and we didn't go into those on this. So... Uh, the government, and I went through FEMA training for the CERT, and all the other research I have is, uh, and the FEMA, right, and everybody that they're preparing for a 10 kiloton device. What is a 10 kiloton device? So, it, for comparison, uh, the bomb dropped in Hiroshima, Japan, was calculated to have been around roughly 15 to 17 kilotons. Of, uh, t of TNT, while the one in Nagasaki, Japan, was 21 kiloton. So what would be a 10 kiloton uh, weapon, right? Uh, uh, this is from an article a uh, number of years ago from USA Today. Again, not a conspiracy website here. Not a conspiracy theorist by any means. For nuclear weapons, uh, or do you, uh, fuel for nuclear weapons is more widely available by Peter Eisler the International Atomic Energy Agency says it takes 17.6 pounds of plutonium or 55.1 pounds of highly enriched uranium, that's uranium-239, amounts that could fit into a suitcase to build a nuclear weapon. More experienced and well-funded terrorists can make a bomb with much less than this. This definitely will fit the uh, description of a suitcase nuke. All right, so... Again, uh, what we were worried about in the early 2010s was stuff from the old Soviet Union that's going around. But now we're worried about, uh, no, that got lost or sold or anything else. But now we have, uh, no, we have countries that have historically not been so nice towards the United States or to their neighbors, like Pakistan having nuclear weapons, India reportedly having nuclear weapons, uh, North and South Korea Right, nuclear weapons. I don't know about South Korea so much. They rely on the United States, but nuclear uh, weapons over there, according to today's news, this stuff is not going around away with this stuff. We're not even going to talk about EMPs. That's the story for another day, which would fry most of the electrical grid in the United States. Now, what is radio? Uh, what are we worried about? When you have a nuclear explosion, you have three basic things you have heat and you have light and you have uh you have heat light a blast and a blast right is what you're dealing with so what would a blast be that would be an overpressurization of uh of the uh, uh, uh like a, a shock wave so if you take a a rock and you throw it in a pond or a puddle of water and you see the waves going across that's a shock wave and it would be roughly they're saying uh no like at the source you're talking about from what i recall eight to ten p 
PSI overpressure, sort of like close to like a arc flash, right? Some arc flash is a lot lower. And that, that is what normally kills people is that blast. Then heat, obviously, you get a lot of heat vaporizing people, right? Vaporizing things, right? And then radiation being released because that uranium uh, 235 uh, and plutonium degrade, right? are able to change into other forms of more stable elements. So you have three basic traditional types of radiation particles that are out there. You have alpha, you have beta, and you have uh, gamma radiation. So what's an alpha? Alpha, and just think about this. An alpha particle is actually a helium atom that is doubly ionized. It's two electrons and two protons, and it's big compared to beta particles. So beta particles are released from the nucleus of an atom, and it's a lot smaller. Uh, it's a lot smaller. Now, like alpha particles, once beta particles enter the body, they can cause significant internal organ damage. So alpha particles are stopped by a thin layer of light material, sheet of paper, that sort of thing, and uh, outer dead layer of skin. Beta particles, because they move a lot faster than our alpha particles and are smaller, are able to go and penetrate the skin a lot more. And then you have gamma radiation. And believe me, you're not going to turn into the Incredible Hulk, but it's pure energy, right? And it, uh, uh, right, it's high energy electromagnetic radiation emitted by certain radionuclides with a nuclei transition from a higher to a lower ener energy state. The rays have a high energy and a short wavelength, and they, and basically, the only thing you can do with that is, uh, large amounts of shielding, increasing your distance from the source, and limiting your time, your basic time, distance, and shielding strategy. Now, when you're now, what happens with fallout? Now, you, you think of, uh, and we all, and if you don't, didn't uh, witness this like I did, think of a 9-11 with the Twin Towers collapsing and the other buildings there. You had a huge dust cloud. Now, imagine this. Huge dust cloud everywhere, no, just over miles and miles and miles, and then you go downwind. So a uh, terrorist most likely would release and detonate a nuclear weapon at the ground. A nuclear weapon from a, uh, 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 from a power, superpower, right, where you're dealing with uh, fusion bombs and everything else, big things that are out there, right, they're, they're done from uh, uh, from the air. It's an airburst. So this nuclear fallout uh, puts dust, debris, and radioactive materials tens of thousands of feet in the air and eventually falls to Earth. Now, the radioactive material in that, in that material, you inhale, and it goes into your body and gets incorporated into your body because they're metals and other things. It gets, stays in your body. Your body... If it filters it out at all, it takes a long time. Now it's em emitting alpha, beta, gamma radiation, basic radiation. There are others with this, right? There, this is a real simplified view of this inside your body, impacting your soft tissues, and that's when you get uh, possible uh, uh, some type of uh, radiation, uh, ra radiation uh, uh, poisoning. Right, the most severe being acute radiation symptoms. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, acute radiation syndrome, ARS. ARS is caused by exposure to high levels of radiation over a short period of time over a large section of the body and reaches the internal organs. So what are the immediate effects of from a nuclear explosion? Virtually all people will die within what is called the heavy damage radius. The light damage radius in the light damage area outward poses better chances of survival, but victims will probably all have skin burns and later develop ARS. What are the symptoms? Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Those are the first ones. These uh, symptoms start within minutes or days of exposure, maybe intermittent. Extreme flu-like symptoms, seizures, and coma accompany virtually all 
ARS illnesses and may last up to several months if you survive that. Skin damage, obviously, and mortality. Obviously, the higher rate of exposure, the less likely chances of surviving. The causes of death in most cases is the destruction of bone marrow. Right For survival, survivors, recovery may take up to two years. Going onward, so I'm going to read this out here, and I'm going to do it in RADS, right, as the uh, thing. So 0 to 100 RADS of radiation, virtually no effect, all right? And this is all from uh, the Department of Defense has had a, public, uh, has had a publication, Acute Radiation Syndrome, all right, is uh, basically what it is. So 0 to 1 RADS, there's virtually no effect. 100 to 200 RADS, nausea and vomiting for 10 to 50% of the victims ceases within 24 hours. And then you have other clinical issues there, and there's a minimal mortality risk. And somewhere around uh, 5% or less of the individuals are hospitalized for 45 to 60 days. Now, at 200 to 600 rads, it's also called the sublethal range. Nausea and vomiting in 50 to 100% of the victims begins within two to four hours, last 24 hours. Cognitive impairment, other clinical signs. You can go look this up, right? The time of onset is two days to two weeks and 90% hospitalization for up to 90 days and low mortality risk with aggressive therapy. That is the medicines that we were all talking about here. Right then, six hundred to eight hundred rads, nausea and vomiting, and seventy-five to one hundred percent of victims. You know, you're going closer and closer and closer into the uh, into the uh, 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 round zero, right? And then eighty to three thousand, eight hundred to three hundred thousand plus rads. This is right at. Uh, ground zero practically what doesn't kill you this is what what it does over 90 percent of victims experience nausea and vomiting within minutes or less than one hour and it's basically uh death within uh 40 48 hours uh over 3,000 rads and two to 14 days right so that's the lethal range so uh and then we have the different uh things right for leukemia right Two to 40 years is basically you have, uh, that's where it's going to show up. Bone cancer within 15 years, thyroid cancer, 15 to 30 years, lung cancer, 10 to 20 years, life shortening uh, stuff, right? That's, we're not, the data was not there for that other than, yeah, anecdotally, yeah, your life is going to be shortened. Contradicting data and cataract formation within five, one to five years. So what do you do with this? All right. Again, like with everything else, uh, the current uh, thing is stay inside in a room or a basement surrounded by dirt, right? So if you're in a basement surrounded by dirt on multiple sides or substantial things, we used to have things called fallout shelters indoors. Again, like with all of our other disaster preparation stuff, it's everything. It's the same stuff, except you're going to probably have to hunker down if you're at home for a week or more, right? For uh, with a nuclear blast, if you're if you survive it again, you're saying, well, Jim. There's I don't want to go and I don't want to survive anything. I don't want to live in a world like that. I, you're not the what the situation that you're in is not dependent on you. You're not in control of it. You may have get this and by the way if you have a family you're going to want to survive and prepare for your family what they're going to be going through it's not all about you not, not all about you it's about society it's about everything else that goes into all your disaster preparation we've gone through it from time and memorial on this show and outside the show you can go look back at our old programs here right now I'm going to, uh, no, my book had all different things. Maybe I'll reissue it, updated, that sort of thing. But everything that I uh, quoted out of here uh, was open source uh, information here. So 
we're going to face the facts here. And I've read this before on the air. I'm going to read it again. It is likely that the contents of this book, and then I read from a lot of, from this book today, my book, will cause mixed feelings ranging from denial and disillusionment to hopefully empowerment. I hope that I have inspired empowerment not only in disaster management, but in all aspects of your own life. Past few years have been rough on our nation. This is 2012. Look at what we've been through since. We have faced economic problems, disillusionment with the political situation, politicians and political parties, the rise of radical groups and other challenges. This is 2012 I wrote this. Insights that have once, well, that were once called conspiracy theories have now been called conspiracy facts. Unfortunately, our government has proven that they are unwilling or unable to protect the public without curtailing civil rights and running up massive debt. And I'm going to say this, agency, your decisions, right? This is 2012. That's what happened, how we managed COVID here. And that's not the opinion of the people on this radio station, that's Jim Polzel's opinion. Going on and on. There are many in our government that take advantage of this situation. I'm not going to mention names here. Faced with the threat of a nuclear disaster, do you re really want to risk your future on elected and appointed leaders who allow bad situations to fester? Are they to blame or are we to blame for electing them and not keeping after them and keeping them in check? Right? This is not a political program, but I'm going to throw that in there. The power lies with us. That means you, the listener here. And that means we can fix it through the power of many things. The ballot box, redressing our grievances with the government, public meetings, you name it, we're, we could do it. It's us. We're gonna, we got to be empowered and take the opportunity to use it. We have the opportunity in our society to change course. Work through your local communities. Work towards, work with your local politicians. If they won't work with you, form your own stuff. Form your own community. Look at your organization that you're involved in. Your workplaces, community groups, churches, synagogues, mass, all of those things are all available. Scouting. No, check back with us. We have good information. And by the way, we do disaster response worker training where we do up to 15 hours of training on this, and it's all government authorized. We're authorized by OSHA to do that here at Safety Wars. So, and we can 40-hour HASFLA for courses. We're planning on doing an eight-hour uh, eight refresher online. Uh, we're going to be advertising that and everything else. So this is what I want you to do. Go and prepare. Be empowered. We can make it through this, regardless of what we have. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.